All right, so might be finishing up the the tabernacle uh, tonight, which is this this larger chunk of we're taking uh, for anyone that hasn't been following along, we're we're taking this <clears throat> big chunk of Exodus here at the end, where it talks about both the the first it describes the pattern of the tabernacle, and then and then it describes the building of the tabernacle according to the pattern, and it takes up a whole bunch of of chapters here, and I, I thought instead of just trying to go through those uh, chapter by chapter, you would just talk about uh, the tabernacle in general. So we, we spent, well, let's see, a week, I think, talking about the, the the brazen altar and the death or the judgment that's there. And we, we spent another week, I think, talking about the, uh, the labor. And, and then we spent last time talking about the, the started talking about the sanctuary and we were mostly dealing with kind of the outer court and the fact that there are two or outer or the holy place I guess there's two sections two not really courts but the the two two sections of the um of the sanctuary and we we looked at the some of the fur, the, the furniture within the first um section of the sanctuary talked a little bit about the veil if I'm not mistaken and we didn't really get to the ark so I thought I would try to just say some things about the ark tonight um I don't know if you guys want to see that diagram again I can put it back up here all right more or less what it looked like I just happened to, there's a if you go on to uh google images there's a million replicas of the ark of the covenant but I kind of like this. I, I described this one just because it it demonstrates it just showed that the lid was one piece with the cherubim, which I think is interesting. And there's a, there's so many different ideas about any the, the kind of the dimensions we know. We know that it's made of gold. We know it has those little clasps things with the poles of acacia wood going through it. We know you know the, the basic size and shape of it. But and we know that there's cherubim on top. If you look beyond that, there's a whole bunch of different ideas. About exactly what the you know the various decor uh, looked like, including the cherubim. What a cherubim looked like, it doesn't really describe. It describes cherubim in Isaiah and Ezekiel and uh, Revelation, but it doesn't really describe them um, in the uh, that I can remember at least in the construction of the uh, what they look like in the construction of the uh, tabernacle. It just says to put them on top of the ark. And to weave them into the uh, the veil and a few other places that they 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 have a a pretty significant role and uh, in in the temple there's these huge cherubim uh, standing on the side of the ark too I forget how tall they are they're like I don't know like ten feet tall or something like that with their wings coming that might be an exaggeration but I don't think it is their wings coming together and touching kind of in the middle above the ark and. So, um, you probably don't need to stare at that the whole time, but I'll switch back here so you can stare at me, <laughs> at me instead. Uh, but <clears throat> just in case you hadn't looked at the arc for a while, I'm going to be talking about that for probably the whole, the whole session tonight. It's a, it's a, uh, as you already know, it's a really important thing in in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. 
and uh, it, it it's kind of the most sacred of all of the pieces of the furniture in the tabernacle. Um, the really the centerpiece, I think you could say, of the tabernacle, or the, or the centerpiece of of all of Israel, really, is this ark, and and so. Um, the the question is, I think, well, one of the questions I think we should talk about is why? Why is, uh, what does the Ark represent? Why is it so important in the history of uh, of, of Israel and, and the types and shadows involved in Israel? What's, uh, what's the meaning of the Ark? And obviously, as I always say, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know uh, beyond a little bit that I think I've seen, and and uh, but what I have seen uh, is what I'm going to try to share, or, or at least what what seems to be relative, relatively clear with when it comes to the ark. I think you could say that. Um, I, I think it's I think it's accurate to say that the ark represents the the glorious dwelling place there's a few ways i could say it there's there's a few ways that i think it has struck my heart over the years and um in times where i've i've been my heart's been drawn to the ark and i guess you could call it the the glorious dwelling place of god or you could call it uh, a picture of god's glorious purpose for creation to me, the ark paints a picture of of what God was after from the very beginning. It, it paints this picture of a perfect place slash relationship relationship that He has created for His own dwelling place or for His own life and glory to dwell in, and and so it's really. I think it, it's a glorified container, I guess is what you could say. And, and all the, the details of it are important, and I'm going to try to talk about those details to some extent tonight. But the details of the Ark are important, but really the, like the, I, I think the bird's eye view, the big picture is, is more important or at least more essential to even looking, before even looking at those details. What is this about? It's about a, a place or a people, or a creation, or a kingdom, or whatever. It's all of these these different angles that that uh, speak of the exact same purpose, um, or that add depth and breadth to this one purpose of God to have a place for Himself to dwell in. And to be glorified, I think that's what God. I think that's what motivates the heart of God, if I can say it that way. I think that if you were to ask God, "What are you doing? Why are you doing this? What? What? Why make anything? Why create anything?" I think that uh, one of the ways He could answer that question would be that He desires to pour out Himself into the midst of a container 
that is living, a creation that is living, a people, a bride, a kingdom, this living, this city. Again, lots of different languages that describe the same phenomenon, but the... I, he desires that there is something in, inherent in his very being, in his nature, which which the scripture calls love. Love is the pouring out of self. It is this, it is this uh, nature to give, to pour out, to share, to to give, to give oneself. To God's heart is to glorify, is to give himself and to love a creation for the establishing of his own glory and that glory is the greatest thing he can give to that cre- it's it is his own it, it does glorify him it does magnify him it does put him on display it does create a showcase or a container for his glory and 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 that is uh, that is what he desires as well love and glory i think those two words really for me uh, as far as i've seen so far really are are the two biggest purpose words that i know the, that answer more of the why questions of everything in the in the, in creation everything in the world everything of 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 the 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 natural universe the natural creation the the, the sending of christ the death of christ the resurrection of christ the purpose for the church what is it all i think Again, if you back up as far as I've been able to go, as far as I've been able to see, to answer those questions, there's two things that stand out, and that is, and they're both aspects of God's own being. They're they're love and glory, and and that's that's what's going on here. You have a container, uh, which in some stories, again, in some stories, that that vessel or that container is this living bride, and other times it's this. Land that receives a seed and contains it and bears its increase. Another time, it's a it's a city that's alive that bears the life and the government of a king. Another time, whatever. There's a bunch of different pictures of it, but it's all this container. It's this thing that God made. Here's a real simple container. What is it? It's a box. It's a box. It's made of wood, and it's covered with gold. It's made of acacia wood. In other words, it's something created. It wasn't in the 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 fellowship of the Godhead uh, in the beginning. It wasn't there. It was created. It, it grew from the earth. It was made of wood, and yet it was covered and covered with gold. It was made a partaker of the divine nature. It was covered entirely with um, with the the life and the and the covering and the nature and the light and the purpose and the linen the clean garments of of Christ himself and and the purpose of it isn't just to sit there and look pretty the purpose of it is to actually contain in itself that which is the very word and life and uh resurrection and of God, uh, it, that that's the purpose unto the bearing of those things in um, the the bearing, the, the witnessing, the testify, the witnessing. When I say witnessing, I mean more of what we become than what we say. Although we can witness with our mouth, in a sense too. But you become witnesses, and I and I believe that there's two. Um, there's two there's always uh it's always been two witnesses 
uh, of God's finished work, of his judgment, of his new creation. And I'll, I'll maybe get to that a little later, but I think that that's what we see on top of the ark, are these two witnesses. So... Let's let's uh that those that's just a little bit of an introduction I think to the ark and let me let me let me go back and look at a word that I want to just say a couple things about real quick and it's the word glory. The ark is often associated with glory, um, and and uh, that's important. I, I I just was thinking of in in First Samuel four. You remember the story when Eli Eli's sons and and, the, and these these kind of uh, messed these these uh, the the, the you know, Eli's sons and then Israel, who are not walking in covenant, go out and they try to fight the Philistines and they get, they get beaten back. And then they, they say, I know what we'll do. We'll grab the ark and, and we'll use, we'll use God to fight for us. And we'll basically, as Christians are, are uh, unfortunately apt to do these days as well, we try to use God for our own natural benefit instead of be used of God for his eternal purpose. And they grabbed onto the ark and they shouted with a great sh- shout and the Philistines said, uh-oh, the ark's in the camp, uh, we better fight hard. And they, they killed like 30,000 of the Jews and they took the ark and you know that whole story, right? But when the ark is, um, is taken, the, right then, Eli's daughter-in-law is giving birth and Eli, uh, he he. They come back and they tell him, "Your two sons have died." And uh, Eli knew that was going to happen. It doesn't seem to be too shaken by that. But when they tell him that the ark of of the covenant has been taken from Israel, he falls off backwards off of his seat and breaks his neck. And then the the um, the the, the daughter in law of Eli gives birth and names her son Ichabod, and that means uh, without glory or the glory. I think it just means without glory, or the glory has departed. And uh, and then she says, the glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. She says it two times there at the end of First uh, Samuel chapter 4. Anyway, I say all that just to say that the ark, it's like from their perspective, the ark was the glory of God. The ark was the the the, the God's glory among them. And 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 so what what does that mean or what is glory? And I think it's right to say that glory is glory has to do with uh with God the the is is God glory is God making himself known, making himself uh manifest, uh revealing himself, causing himself to be seen or experienced in one way or another. Glory is a word that's always tied it's it's something gives God glory when it reveals, shows, makes manifest, makes known something of God. And so you could look at any aspect of uh the tabernacle and at various times they say like make Aaron garments for glory. And and what does that mean? Well the the garments are created uh, to illustrate, to put on display, to reveal something of God, to something of, in, in fact, Christ and His High Priest, uh, His ministry of High Priest, or you know, God glorified Himself in the judgment of uh, Egypt. And what does that mean? Well, He He showed Himself, made Himself known, made laid, you know, bare His arm. He 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 unveiled some both something of his righteous wrath something of his eternal purpose in Christ which is what all that story was a type and shadow of and uh whatever his victory over darkness he 
he he glorified himself he showed himself and and the scriptures as as you probably know and this is a little bit of a review but i feel like it's an important thing because that's what that's what the ark is it's a container for the glory of god um there's two kinds of glory in scripture there there is the glory that uh, of god they're both the glory of god the glory of the natural, the glory of the created, the glory of what scripture calls the first, Hebrews calls the first, that's natural created things, either in the natural creation or in the creation of Israel, that give expression to or make manifest or reveal or demonstrate or put on a, you know, put in a showcase that which is God. And this is the lesser glory. It's, it's, it's passing. It's temporary. It, it, it uh, you can't really possess it. You can kind of see it with natural eyes for a moment, and then, you know, it testifies. It, it does give glory to God. The sun does that. The heavens give glory to God, as the psalmist says. You know, all creation gives glory to God. Uh, but, uh, and so, so did the tabernacle, and so did the high priest's, priest's garments, and the breastplate of judgment. All that stuff glorified God because it made, it made him seen and known. And, and yet the, the, the greater glory, the greater knowing of God, the greater display, revealing of God isn't natural, passing, temporal, and figurative, uh, symbolic shadows and pictures is, it's actually the, the true, eternal, outshining or, or, revealing or displaying or knowing of of God in spirit and truth in Christ. So that's the substance it's the substance of glorious Christ himself living in you making known the Father or the Father living in you making known the Son. It it is it is a spiritual inward to to spiritual eyes it's the appearing of the Lord in his Temple, but the temple now is you, and the appearing is uh, is with spiritual light, and that's the glory that Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter three. He says that that glory is so far greater than the first glory that it makes the first glory not even glory. I mean, compared to it, it's not even it's not even glory. It's a, it's a passing shadow, and uh, and, and so to glorify God. And people throw. I, I'm, I'm saying this partly because I hear these words thrown around a lot. You know, you know, you go to a, you go to a church and everyone says, "Give." You know, the, the the person up front says, "Okay, let's give glory to God," and everyone starts clapping as though like clapping somehow does that, or or singing as though somehow singing just gives God glory. Well, the fact of the matter is, you don't have. Uh, Man doesn't have something in the in, in his pocket called glory that we can just give to God by singing or clapping our hands or doing anything. Glory to 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 glorify God, you have to receive something that is of God and and part of His very life, nature, light, whatever. You have to bear that in yourself, carry that display that the very thing you know it wasn't it wasn't everything it wasn't every you know random tabernacle that the philistines made that glorified god only the one that was 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 given by god as a representation of god do you see that's that's the only one that did it uh it wasn't any old container uh, that you put, you know, any old treasure box that glorified God. It was the one that He created that bore the image of eternal and spiritual things. In the same way, 
it's not just any old song or clapping that glorifies God. It's the it's the giving, forming, uh, increasing, uh, and displaying of that which is received from God that actually glorifies Him. God is glorified by the increase of Christ in the soul. And you have to receive that because Christ in you is the expectation of glory. You have to receive that from Him, bear that in yourself, and that that being offered back to God as a continual fragrance on the altar of your soul, on the altar of your heart, is is the glory that he receives from man. That's the only way to give him glory. You give him back the increase of the talent of the mina that he deposited in you. And so all of that is... is uh, to say that the the Ark of the Covenant seems to me to be kind of like summing up all these different pictures of, of God's desire to have uh, a, a people, a kingdom, a city, a, a bride, a land in which into which he pours out himself and through which and by which he glorifies himself. So it's a container as it's a recipient of his love and the showcase of his of his glory. And that's see the the ark is just exactly that. It it functions in the tabernacle as the picture. Remember we talked about last time the 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 design of the tabernacle, the way that it was set up, there was there was part of the design was the fact that the lesser glory was going to give way to the greater glory when the flesh was removed. Remember the veil which was his flesh. Hebrews says the veil which is the man, uh, the hostility between man and God, the enmity between man and God, the 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 veil that actually created the separation between the true spiritual union and glory and the outward picture of that union and glory in in natural Israel. Part of the design of the tabernacle was the fact that the one would give way to the other when the veil was taken down and you all know that the veil ripped in the death of Christ I mean in the crucifixion of Christ and all that but uh, just to kind of finish up with those types and shadows God himself ripped it to demonstrate that okay now we're coming into the substance now we're coming into the greater glory but the ark functions in the tabernacle as that that full perfect inward internal dwelling place behind the veil when enmity and barriers are taken away uh what what is what is there what is there behind the veil when all flesh is put away by the cross when all adam is baptized into the death of christ what is there there is a glorified dwelling place of god a container when all is said and done when all of the flesh that is grass blows away, when all of the kingdoms of the world come and go, when all of the giant statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw is completely destroyed by the rock that was cut out from the mountain without hands, and when all is said and done, what does God have? And, and, and he has it right now. You know, I'm not, not trying to say like it, it awaits anything. I'm just saying, the whole purpose what is it going what is it going towards you know what what is eternal what lasts well i think i think what lasts is this glorified dwelling place this eternal uh box <laughs> this eternal box that 
was part of a creation of wood covered with gold and made to be the resting place. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where am I going to live? I'm going to live in the ark. I'm going to, I'm going to live, I'm going to implant myself into the ark and I'm going to glorify myself in, in, in a, in a living container, in a new creation. Remember the, the whole story of, um, Moses, he has the the word of God and tablets. God gives it to him on the top of the mountain. Remember that, and he comes down, and that's a word. The word, the the first appearing of that word is in words. The first appearing of 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 that of that word is in the old covenant. You see him in in uh, tablets written upon stone, and he comes down the mountain, and he he meets with. A rebellious people, a people that the the word placed on them doesn't change them. It comes right down the mountain and finds them rebelling, worshiping idols, doing whatever else uh, they were doing, and and the word is broken. The word is crushed. The word is smashed down by Moses' own hands, and they have to eat that judgment. They have to remember he he, he takes their calf and he. He grinds it up, puts it in their water, and makes them drink it. And then he kills. And then he says, "All who are with me." Remember this whole story. The Levites come and they slay the Levites, the priesthood. They come and they slay their brethren. They all gird their swords upon their 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 their, their sides, and they go out and they kill their brethren. And then, and then the, then Moses goes back up, and then he returns up again. This is Christ now. Christ comes down. Christ in the form of Christ. Christ uh, comes down and is smashed and is crushed and is and and becomes the judgment of of all of his brethren becomes the judgment offers them a death offers them a way to um to be put to death by the by the high priest it goes back up and and the words are um the the covenant again is written again and it comes back down this time he doesn't. He doesn't come down and go over to the people that are rebellious and smash it on the ground again. He comes that right down and and he puts it right in the ark. He puts it in a new. It's a. It's an indwelling word. It's a new place to live. It's not this external um, word that condemns a people for what they've done and it's broken for them. It's a it's an indwelling word and it lives in the ark and in, in fact I wrote down some of these verses here Deuteronomy nine let me just read a few of these Deuteronomy nine nine through eleven when I went up this is Moses talking <clears throat> when I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone the tablets of the covenant which the Lord made with you then I stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights I neither ate bread nor drank water then the Lord delivered to me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God and on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. <clears throat> and it came to pass at the end of forty days and forty nights that the Lord gave me the, uh, the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Uh, skipping over to fifteen. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made for yourselves a molded calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Then I took the tablets and threw them out of my hands and broke them before your eyes. 
then uh, going on to, to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 1. At that time, the Lord said to me, Hew for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. Come up to me on the mountain and make yourself an ark of wood. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. And I shall put the, and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood, hewed two tablets of stone like the first, went up the mountain, having the two tablets in my hand. So the tablets came down, the tablets were broken, the tablets went back up, were remade, put back together, so to speak, went back up, and he wrote on the tablets, according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord had spoken to you in the mountain, from the midst of the fire, in the day of the assembly, and the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain, and I put the tablets in the ark which I had made, and there they are, just as the Lord commanded me. Well, I, I say all that just because we were we were talking about how the ark is this container. It's the it's the dwelling place that God has wanted to dwell. He he didn't he, though he dealt with Israel externally according to an outward covenant th- through the mediation of uh, angels and, and pictures and shadows. What he what he really wanted to do was to come down and plant himself, live himself in the place that he has created. This is, I'm just trying to, I'm kind of stealing the language here from Exodus uh, 15, 17, which says, You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, and the Lord shall reign forever and ever. That's what the, that's what the ark is. It's the place that he has created for his own dwelling place. It's, 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 you know, there it calls it the mountain of the Lord. Some places it calls it the, the city of God. Sometimes it's Zion. Sometimes it's the bride of the Lamb. You know, whatever it is, it's this new creation. I mean, whatever language is used, there is a new creation that there's a there's a new creation that was designed by God to receive His seed, to receive His love, and to bear His glory. And um, all right. Okay, let's see here. Let's look at the the I wrote some things down here about the design of the ark. The cherubim on top. Um I don't think these are angels. I I never have really. I I I um most people when they hear the word cherubim, I think it's been my experience that most people think of high-ranking angels. Um I don't know that that I don't know where where that idea came from. I think it just kind of was assumed. Um, there is obviously mention of angels in the in the Bible, and there's even archangels men, mentioned um, in, in in a place or two. But <clears throat> cherubim uh, are living creatures. In fact, living ones is is an accurate translation. They're just they're just living living ones, and sometimes there's seraphim too, which are I think the translation of that is burning ones. If I'm not mistaken, but generally the cherubim uh, are. I, I, I think it's like I said. I think it's just the word means living ones, and I I don't think that they're they're way. Well, I, it just doesn't make. It's never made any sense to me to, to just have, have them be, be be angels. There's so there's so much detail given about them, and and they're different. Sometimes differently illustrated in different 
places. Sometimes they have, you know, four wings, sometimes they have six, sometimes they do this, sometimes they do that. But because I, I don't think the point is that God's actually describing, uh, like a, a physical being. I think the point is that God is describing a living new creation. In other words, I think that the, the, the cherubim themselves are a picture of, um, of the new creation. There, there's something that God created to join him uh, to to be to to be joined to his throne, uh, made with one piece of gold, with the lid of the ark. They're not separate from it. They're not they're not detachable. They're not like you know Velcro, sticky. You know, add them on, take them off, clean them, stick them back on. No, they're made with one piece of gold, with the lid, and they're joined to it. I don't think you would do that if that was. Uh, just a couple really high-ranking angels. I, I think this is something that's been joined to the Lord, and I think it's a creation. I think it's a living creation um, that s- it, its purpose is to stand, uh, to be joined to the Lord, and to stand beside the Lord for eternity with a with a full view. Of his glory, uh, and that's why I think they're, they're full of eyes, which is again, I don't think it's physical or not. I don't, I, I don't, th- you know, I don't think that there's really some like physical creature with a bunch of eyes. I think that the picture of the cherubim being filled with eyes, their whole body filled with eyes, doesn't really even make a whole lot of natural sense, but I think it makes a whole lot of spiritual sense because it, it, that's exactly what I, I think eternity is this perpetual beholding, seeing, perfect seeing and knowing and growing in the knowing and seeing of the one that we've been joined to. Never leaving him, going, remember, following the lamb wherever he goes, wherever, you know, the throne goes on these wheels, there's different pictures of it with the wheels and all that, you know, and then the cherubim follow and they, and, and they're worshiping too, they're saying, you know, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and they're, they're staying right with the lamb and they're, they're following him and they're worshiping forever and ever, and that just all that you put all that together, and that that this seems to me like an, the new creation. God's in the midst of them, he j- just as he's in the midst of the of of, of the new creation. And, and there's these four faces that are usually associated with them that seem to me to to sp- kind of speak of again a a a, a mighty. Uh, a might, it's almost like summing up kind of like some of the best things of creation. It has the, you know, there's the four, there's a face of a man and the face of, a, you know, there's an ox and there's a lion and, you, and an eagle. And you could say, you know, the strength of an ox and the wisdom of a man and the ferocity of a lion and the, I'm not sure what an eagle has, uh, eyesight. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. Just like the, the majestic aspects of creation, kind of like pictured there. It is said too that interestingly, I don't. This isn't in scripture, but in Jewish tradition, that uh, Israel, when they camped uh, around the tabernacle, they would be camped in four groups of three tribes. So there'd be 
three tribes to the south, three tribes to the east, three tribes to the north, and three tribes to the west. And and each group of three tribes would camp under the banner of um, one of these four faces. So it would be three tribes under the banner of a lion and three tribes under the banner of an eagle and, and so forth. And to me, it, if that's true, it kind of goes along with what I what I'm trying to say here. I I think that uh that's what Israel was in God's view. It it was these this this it was an old covenant type and shadowy picture, but it was still a picture of something and the picture was this amazing creation of God filled with the life of Christ joined to the throne of God beholding his glory, following him wherever he goes, in the sense, you know, they are joined to him, one with him, uh, reigning with him, becoming a kingdom of priests next to him, uh, or, or a part, uh, joined to him. And, uh, I, I don't know. The, the the cherubim and, and the fact that the cherubim are one it says it a few times uh, whenever when they're giving the pattern when they're making it the cherubim were made as one piece they're not they're they're it's like they're one, they're part of the container the cherubim are part of the container they're not like decorations you set on uh, set on top and now this could get a little bit uh, how much time do I have not much. This could get a little bit convoluted, and I don't mean it to be. It's something that I feel like I've I've seen into a little bit, but um, I feel like what you know because the question is is then why is there two? Why isn't there just one new creation? Yeah, there's one. There's there is there's one new creation, and, and they're all one. They're all joined to the same lid, and and uh, there's no image of God on top of the thing, but he's there in the he's the invisible one in the midst of the cherubim. Remember how. The voice would speak to Moses out from the midst of the cherubim. Um, but why are there two cherubim? And I and I think I've noticed that there are there are very often two witnesses of of God's work of God's. There's two that cry out. There's two that declare the finished work, that declare the judgment of God, that declare the finished work of the cross. There's there's two. There's there's two um these these two living witnesses. You know, you see it with Moses and Aaron that they come into the land and they declare judgment, they declare God's purpose, they declare that he's taking a people out for his own glory to offer up sacrifices to his name. They they come in, there's a land that's under judgment, they declare it, they just stand there and, and it happens, you know. Judgment falls on that which must be judged, life is given to that which receives life. And the two witnesses are there. And then, well you see it before that, you see it in... Um, Sodom and Gomorrah. Two angels go in. Same kind of story into a into a place that's um, judged, and the the purpose is to take out for God this this man and his family, uh, and, and take them to the to the high mountain. And you see it with 
Rahab and the two spies and they come in and it's again it's a place under condemnation the two witnesses are coming in and 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 Rahab already knows that the whole thing belongs to God she already knows that the whole her whole land and city are under the judgment of God and she comes out with the two the two witnesses the two she comes she agrees with God's judgment she comes out and joins herself to the Israel of God and there's just a bunch of them there's the two witnesses in Revelation too at the end who are testifying of I believe of a, of a finished work of God uh, declaring that judgment on uh, an old an old Jerusalem because the new Jerusalem is growing the new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven and uh, re- replacing the old and the old is being taken away and the two witnesses are given power to witness and uh, I don't think those are two literal humans by the way but I, I, I do believe that the, the language there is is uh, is interesting and, and, and probably very important but um, I, th- I think that and maybe I'll just leave this to you to look at and not try to get into too much. I, I've talked about this in other teachings too, and uh, I, I think it can get a little. If, if you don't really spend a lot of time and kind of look at why this is important and what the house of God is and why the two olive tree, you know, if you're, if you're interested, if your heart feels drawn by by this, you can spend some time in Zechariah chapter four and and chapter six. And you'll see that the house of God, the dwelling place of God, has these two um, witnesses. These two, there it is again. There, these two oily ones that are that are constantly dripping their oil into um, into that house, into that place that God dwells in, and. And I, and I also think that you can tie that to, again, I, this is probably getting a little bit too, too in depth for just talking about the, the generalities of the ark, but I, th- I think that you could say that those two witnesses, in a sense, well, you, in gener- generally speaking, they're the, new, they're a new creation, I believe, but if you really kind of want to break it down into the two factor, I, I, I think that there, it has something to do with the bridegroom and the kingdom. And I think that that's, uh, I think that that's, can be demonstrated from a number of scriptures, especially Zechariah chapter 4 and chapter 6. And I think I have some teachings online somewhere about that, but I don't really feel really moved to, to get too much into that tonight, only just to mention it. So I'll stop, I'll stop with that and